3: Thanks for listening to the Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening
2: to Fox Sports Radio.
3: Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance, visit geico.com for a free rate quote. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Monday morning, and some of you are, if the games went as well as you had hoped they might over the weekend, and others of you are sitting around staring at your radio, staring off in the distance as you drive into work this morning thinking, why 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 did things go as they did we've got a lot to get to i was at ohio state penn state incredible ending there we will talk about all the college football games we will talk about all the nfl games effectively we are done almost with a quarter of the nfl season we have one game left chiefs at broncos tonight uh, on monday night football the chiefs are a three and a half point favorite in that game that's the final game And then we will be 25% through the season. Tomorrow, we'll give you our top five, bottom five in the NFL. We will be running through all of the uh, kind of landscape of the NFL with 25% of the season in the books. But for now, let's start with the NFL. There were an awful lot of games to react to. And there were three games in overtime that I think are worth paying some substantial attention to because all of them were pretty wild down the stretch with how they uh, finished themselves. First, and, and all of them had really intriguing questions. We also had an unbelievable ending in Atlanta that came down to the final couple of seconds of that game as well. So, But let's start with the overtime games. The Titans went to overtime against the Super Bowl defending champion Philadelphia Eagles. And what a remarkable ending to that game. The Titans win in overtime on a touchdown pass from Marcus Mariota to Corey Davis after, this is how things can go well in overtime, after the decision by Mike Vrabel to not kick a field goal on fourth down and go for the win instead. Now, that contrasts with the way Frank Reich's uh, situation went with the Indianapolis Colts, and I'll get to that in a minute. But with the Titans facing a fourth and two, and a 49-yard field goal on the table. Vrabel ran out his field goal unit, then changed his mind, took a timeout, put back out his offense, and on fourth and two, the Titans picked up, I believe it was 17 yards, and then I believe, I believe we have the audio of what it sounded like on the final play of the game, third and 10, third and goal from the 10, Marcus Mariota drops back to pass, and this is what it sounds like.
0: This is going to be the play for the win, barring a penalty. Blitz coming. Mariota throws in the end zone. Man is there. Touchdown Tight!
3: That was Mike Keith, Titans Radio Network. So, big takeaway here is the Tennessee Titans are in love with Mike Vrabel. I, as a Titans season ticket holder who goes to all these games, am in love with Mike Vrabel. The Titans now 3-1, and one, three straight victories, two of them in division. If the season ended right now, they would win the AFC South. And this is the kind of win, I believe, that is going to propel the Titans to good things this year because Mike Vrabel had faith in his team. Everything that he has done has basically worked so far. Marcus Mariota coming back from an injury, still not having great feeling in his fingers over 300 yards, completed 15 straight passes in the second half, outdueled Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. So for the Titans, they are ecstatic as they get ready for week five. They'll be going on the road, feel like they have a good chance to beat Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. For the Eagles, I, man, this is a tough loss for the Eagles. Now the Eagles go back home and they've got the Vikings coming to town for an NFC Championship game rematch. And we know the Vikings, I believe, and it's a confusing schedule because of all the ties, are sitting at 1-2-1. and one. The uh, the Eagles are sitting at 2-2, two and two, and whoever loses this game is really, really going to be in a lot of trouble. Now, maybe not tremendous trouble in the NFC East because everybody looks thoroughly mediocre, but if you are the Eagles, I think you have to be a little bit nervous about the way this game played itself out. So that is one of the overtime games. Let's go to another overtime game in the AFC South as well, Indianapolis. This is a different decision. We heard Mike Vrabel decides to go for it in overtime. The difference is Mike Vrabel was in a situation where his team was losing. So his team was losing in this game, and he chose not to attempt what would have been a 49-yard field goal and go for the tie on fourth and two. So he got aggressive, but he was going for the win And also, he wasn't setting up the other team in the event that he fails so that they have an opportunity to end the game. If he had missed the field goal or if they had missed on fourth down, the game would have been over. Well, Frank Reich, in a tie game against the uh, Houston Texans, decides to go for it from his own side of the field, doesn't get it. The Texans come back, hit a big pass from Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins, and then they make a field goal and there is a lot of uh there's a lot of criticism right now of Frank Reich, even if it wasn't from his own locker room. I believe we have audio of him discussing the decision to go for it on fourth down and overtime between the Colts and the Texans. Here is that discussion.
4: We're not playing to tie. I mean, we're going for that ten times out of ten. That's just the way it's gotta roll. Yeah, I think that's who we're going to be as a team. You know, We're going to be aggressive. That's what, that's what we want in our players. That's a mindset that we have in our players. That's the only way to win in this league, I think. Whenever you lose, you always go back and you reevaluate every play. In the perfect scenario, we don't call timeout. We just go for it the first, the first time. I mean, there's no doubt that's the, that's the way it probably is best to play it out, but that's not how it played out. So that's on me.
3: So those are two different outcomes. The uh, Colts fall to 1-3 and three, and in a 1-3 in record. By the way, Andrew Luck, 440 yards passing in this game. And they fall to 1-3 having to go on the road now against the New England Patriots, who we'll get to in a second, who I thought were also one of the big storylines. The other overtime game, as if there weren't enough uh, of the overtime games to begin with, the Raiders go to overtime against the Browns the finale is 45-42. The Raiders miss a field goal early in overtime, come back to win. First win of the season for John Gruden, Derek Carr, four touchdown passes, game-tying two-point conversion with 30 seconds left in regulation. And finally, a 29-yard field goal in overtime gives the Raiders the first win. Uh, I Do we have audio of that field goal? I bet we do. Uh, and for Browns fans, they have now fallen who tied with last place with the pittsburgh steelers here is that audio of the raiders win in overtime
4: for the win it's good. ring the church bells the raiders are a winner just finished baby how about that finally got one hugs go all around what a gutsy game
3: that's the raiders uh, radio network on that win to get off the schneid so as a result There is only one winless team left in the NFL. It is the Arizona Cardinals who lost to the uh, Seattle Seahawks, and we'll get to that game in a second. All right, those were the three overtime. There's so many stories in the NFL. So many stories in the NFL to get to. Those were the three overtime games. Late last night, for those of you who fell asleep, the Ravens beat the Steelers. The Ravens win 26-14 over the Steelers, and as a result when you look at uh, at the standings in the AFC North the Steelers are in a rare place they are in last place they are 0 2 at home they are 1 2 and 1 overall same record as the Browns but they have now fallen to last place the Bengals and the Ravens are both 3 and 1 opening up some early distance between themselves and the Pittsburgh Steelers remember that the Bengals beat the Ravens. So if the season were ending today, the Bengals would be in the playoffs. So that is a pretty significant situation and storyline there to follow in the NFC North. All right, the Patriots. Everybody, myself included, starting to think that the Patriots might be left for dead. They went out and destroyed the Miami Dolphins. And as a result, they are only one game back now. In the AFC East, the Dolphins started off 3-0. They fall to 3-1. Don't put dirt on the grave of Brady, Belichick, and the Patriots just yet. Uh, the Cowboys also avoid total disaster, when at home against the Lions. They're now 2-2 two two in a suddenly wide-open NFC East. They are right at the top of that division and in the mix despite how bad we thought they have played. The Bengals, what an unbelievable touchdown from Andy Dalton to A.J. Green. I bet we have the audio on that one, too, right at the end of the game. The Falcons uh, and the Bengals, neither one have a defense. This game went back and forth the entire way. Uh, this, Do we have the audio of this, uh, Justin Cooper? We're going to find that, but that was an incredible ending as well. I will play that for you. The Seahawks. The Cardinals are the only winless team in the NFL. The Seahawks find a way to win 20-17, to but as he is carted off the field with a broken leg, in an unbelievable move, Earl Thomas flicks off his own sideline, sends the middle finger in their direction because they would not sign him to a long-term extension. You would expect that this is, uh, at least supposedly, a uh, injury that he can fully recover from and that Earl Thomas will be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, You don't think that they're going to franchise tag him and that he will be able to sign with someone else. This is why he held out because he wanted uh, a a, a substantial money uh, commitment there. Those are what I think are the biggest stories from the NFL. I believe we should have that audio now of the Bengals and the Falcons touchdown play. If you didn't see this highlight, this is how it ended in Atlanta.
5: 12 seconds to go. Dalton back to throw. His Boom. pass
3: Boom.
1: caught
5: A.J. Yeah. Green. Yeah. Touchdown! Bengals! Big. The clock is winding down, but it should be stopped with five seconds to go.
0: Joe Mixon ran down the sideline and jumped on top of A.J. Green in celebration, and Joe Mixon looked good.
3: <laughs> that is the Bengals Radio Network. Those are all the reactions from the NFL Uh, week four. Certainly, we will continue to unpack all of these storylines. I think it's interesting at this point in time to say, okay, where would we be? And obviously, we still have one game left with Kansas City going up against Denver. But where would we be right now a quarter of the way through the season? Who would be your playoff teams? I know it's early, but 25% of the NFL season is done. Here's what that would look like in terms of division leaders. The Miami Dolphins, even though they got their ass kicked by the New England Patriots this weekend, would be your number one uh, division winner in the AFC East. In the AFC North, you'd have the Cincinnati Bengals winning the tie break over the Baltimore Ravens by virtue of their head-to-head win. In the AFC South, you'd have the Tennessee Titans as the AFC South division winners by virtue of their head-to-head win over the Jacksonville Jaguars who have the same record. We'll see what would happen tonight's game in the AFC West. Whoever wins tonight's game in the AFC West, whether it's the Chiefs or the Broncos, will be in position to, uh, to have control of that division with uh, four weeks in. The Washington Redskins are, I believe, on bye this week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they are sitting at 2-1, and one, and that would put them at the top of the NFC East. So even though they're just 2-1, and one, you've got Dallas Cowboys... And the Philadelphia Eagles both sitting at 2-2. Two and two. The Giants, even though they're 1-3, and three, not that far out. That division probably going to be messy all year. In the NFC North, I should have mentioned this game as well. Sorry that I did not. The Chicago Bears. Mitch Trubisky, six touchdown passes. And they dominated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Leading Dirk Cutter to say that everybody on the team should be fired. Fitzmagic goes up in flames. They bring in Jameis Winston. He throws two touchdowns and a touchdown pass, but two interceptions as well in a thorough beatdown there. Uh, and uh, so the Chicago Bears would win the NFC North if the season were coming to a close right now. In the NFC South, Carolina Panthers are on a bye, so the NFC South would be the New Orleans Saints would have that division at 3-1. and one, And your only remaining undefeated team that is currently 4-0, and the Rams, obviously. And we talked about them quite a bit after Thursday night's big win over the uh, Minnesota Vikings. So, there is a lot to get to there. All of that is the NFL picture. When we come back, I'm going to give you the college football picture. I will also open up the phone lines, just so you know out there, if you're listening on the podcast, in Hour 2... We will talk with Barrett Salee. And in hour three, we will talk with Alex Marvez. All your college football and NFL action that you could possibly won't want. I will break down everything for you in college football. We'll also take your calls, 877-996-6369. Plus, we know you're big sports fans. Football season's here, and a lot of people are excited to wager on games. You can get in on the action with mybookie.net. Mybookie.net is the industry leading sports action website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take aside the total, or you can even bet the over under on how many fantasy points a player will score. MyBookie.net lets you play online and win big. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie.net has in-game live action on every major league event, even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie.net than today. Go to MyBookie.net to open an account and start winning Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus. Get in on the action. Visit MyBookie.net's website today and use promo code CLAY to get a 100% sign-up bonus. That's MyBookie.net, promo code CLAY for 100% bonus. No deposit necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only Void Wear prohibited. Up next, it's the college football breakdown. I'll give you my top 10 and more. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Sports fans, football season's here and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is the industry leading sports action website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take aside the total or you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score. MyBookie.net lets you play online and win big. Use promo code Clay when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus. Did the game already kick off. Don't sweat it. MyBookie.net has in-game live action on every Major League event, even eSports. There's no better time to join MyBookie.net. Go to MyBookie.net to open an account and start winning. Use promo code Clay when you register for your account and get a 100% sign up bonus. Visit MyBookie.net's website today and use promo code Clay to get a 100% sign up bonus. MyBookie.net promo code Clay for 100% bonus. No deposit necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void were prohibited. Welcome back, Geico, Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, the list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. I was on the road this weekend. I went to an incredible environment. The whiteout game between Penn State and Ohio State was phenomenal to watch Uh, incredible game Penn State frankly gave it away down the stretch up 26 to 14 and in complete control of the game a big play 47 yard touch uh, touchdown uh, catch that was a bad throw from Haskins that uh, was an incredible incredible catch That led to a uh, 26-21 game. And then Penn State runs a play that has gotten a lot of discussion on fourth and five. Trace McSorley was virtually unstoppable. Over 450 yards uh, total offense. Nearly 300 yards passing as well as 175 rushing. And it came down to that play and as, as many games do, there were so many different uh, directions the game could have gone otherwise. But that play in particular is the one that everybody focused on. Now, um, it, was, it was a phenomenal scene in State College. But boy, Ohio State now, two straight years, they have won by a single point. And they have managed to do so while coming back from double-digit fourth-quarter deficits in both games. On top of that, as if that loss were not tough enough, the uh, the Penn, Penn State has lost four games, and their last four games have been by a total of eight points. Remember, last year they lost by one, and they lost a lightning storm delayed game against Michigan State, uh, which was a a really tough loss uh, to drop them to ten and two. We'll see what ends up happening, but if you are an Ohio State fan, you have to be ecstatic because you control the early part of the Big Ten East and honestly the playoff picture in general is starting to reveal itself pretty well in college football because we're five weeks in we had five September weekends which is relatively rare and as a result a lot of college football teams have played nearly half their schedule already if your team hasn't had a bye week as most teams have not we are nearly half the way through the college football season So, uh, big games that stood out from college football to me. If you remember this show, if you listen regularly, we said, what happens if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt? I had that discussion on Friday with Joel Klatt and with Lance Taylor on this show, and Trevor Lawrence got hurt. And to his credit, a guy that nobody really knew came in and made plays, including a fourth down completion, Chase Bryce was pretty outstanding he was only seven for uh, 13 for 83 yards he threw an interception but on fourth down with Clemson season potentially hanging in the balance he threw that conversion this is one of those situations I don't really understand I told you to bet on Dino Babers I almost Syracuse almost got the outright win as a 25 point underdog on the road but I still don't understand what Dino Babers was doing with his timeouts down the stretch there once Clemson had a first-and-goal situation. Eric Dungy is a very solid quarterback. In fact, why would you not want as much time as possible with Eric Dungy to take advantage of getting the ball back, even if you're down four and you need a touchdown? As it was, Syracuse still had the timeouts, but they didn't have enough time left on the clock. I don't understand why you wouldn't have taken your timeouts there. Sometimes Decision-making in college football infuriates me. Clemson survives. West Virginia goes on the road against Texas Tech. Incredible uh, scoring outcome there. I gave you a parlay play. That was tough. We lost that one with 38 seconds to play. That was an intriguing game to watch, though. And the question is, how good is West Virginia? I don't know the answer, but they are 4-0, and they have won every game by eight or more points. That's a team to put a pin in. And try to pay attention to. Kansas left for dead after the opening loss to Maryland, wins, I believe, its fourth straight game, and now we got the Red River rivalry, the Red River shootout, whatever you want to call it. Texas and Oklahoma playing in Dallas this weekend. Central Florida destroys Pitt. There are only three teams in college football right now that are undefeated and have won every game by 14 or more points. Alabama which has won every game by 22 or more points. The Georgia Bulldogs, who beat Tennessee, handled Tennessee fairly easily, and Central Florida. Only four schools, I believe, that have won every game by double digits, by the way, in college football. Alabama, Georgia, Central Florida, and the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky, Gets a massive win over South Carolina. Another dominant performance. The Notre Dame fighting Irish get an incredible win. They're starting to look like a different team with Ian Book. 21-point win over Stanford, which makes the Pac-12's chances to get into the playoffs start to look a little bit ominous. Florida Gators go on the road, beat Mississippi State for a second straight week. Mississippi State supposed to have a high-powered offense with Nick Fitzpatrick. They have now scored 13 points in their past two games, both losses. Virginia Tech bounces back from a loss to Old Dominion, beats undefeated Duke pretty soundly in uh, in Raleigh, Durham. There, uh, I, we talked about uh, about all these games. Uh, LSU continues to roll. Oregon bounces back from a defeat and takes down Cal. College football landscape in general, I'll discuss with you here uh, momentarily. Maybe bring in Eddie Garcia, get an update from all the games that were going on yesterday. We should also mention, hey, by the way, a couple of pretty big baseball games today as we enter into October. The NL Central going to be decided between the Chicago Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers and the NL West going to be decided. Two different play-in play in games to det- determine who won these divisions between the Dodgers and and the Colorado Rockies. What you got for me, uh, Eddie Garcia?
5: Yeah, you're right. Uh, we've got the Dodgers and Rockies coming up today. One-game tiebreaker. It's in L.A., 4 p.m. Eastern. The winner is the West champ. The loser is a wild-card team. And the Cubs and Brewers will also play a one-game tiebreaker in Chicago, 1 p.m. Eastern time later today. Winner is the NL Central champ, and the loser is a wild-card team. As far as week four in the NFL, Sunday night, Ravens beat the Steelers on the road 26-14. Baltimore outscoring Pittsburgh 12-0 in the second half to get the win and improve to 3-1 on the year. In late action, Raiders get an overtime. Field goal to get their first win of the season, beating the Browns 45-42. Derek Carr, four touchdown passes in the victory. Saints down the Giants 33-18. New Orleans is 3-1. Alvin Kamara, 134 yards, rushing three touchdowns for New Orleans. Seahawks get a late field goal to edge the Cardinals 20-17. Arizona's 0-4, only remaining winless team in the league. Chargers get by the 49ers 29-27 in early games. Overtime for the Titans to beat the Eagles 26-23 on a Marcus Mariota touchdown pass. to end the game. Tennessee's 3-1. Cincinnati's 3-1. They beat the Falcons. 37-36 37-36 on the road Andy Dalton, A.J. Green with 7 seconds to go in uh, was the deciding touchdown Cowboys get a field goal as time expires to beat the Lions 26-24 Texans get an overtime field goal to beat the Colts on the road 37-34 Andrew Luck, 4 touchdown passes in defeat Bears get 6 touchdown passes from Mitchell Trubisky in a 48-10 win over the Buccaneers Patriots down the Dolphins 38-7 Miami suffers its first loss of the year now 3-1 on the season Jacksonville's three 3-1 after beating the Jets 31-12, and the Packers shut out the Bills, 22 to nothing. The NHL season begins on Wednesday with the defending Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals, hosting the Boston Bruins. That's our Discover Card key matchup. Speaking of matchups, become a new card member, and Discover Card will match all the cash back you've earned dollar for dollar at the end of the first year. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Now back to Clay Travis and the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios.
3: Good stuff as always going to bring in the crew here in a moment, see what their biggest takeaway was from the weekend of- nf nfl and college football action we are coming to you live from the geico outkick studios where it's easy to save 15 percent or more uh on uh, all of your uh car insurance with geico go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO the only hard part figuring out which way is easier uh justin cooper you were sitting in for uh for danny g today what kind of jumped out at you the most from the nfl or the college football weekend
6: I'd say what jumped out the most is the fact that apparently the NFL doesn't want the Browns to be good and uh, they feel bad that John Gruden is like uh, helming a sinking (laughs) ship and just handed him a win. Says the Bronco fan.
3: Messy, uh, messy overtime for sure. Now, I don't think this game's going to really matter that much in the grand scheme of things because I don't think either team is really going to be very good or contend for a playoff spot this year. And It's more about trying to figure out, can Derek Carr get back to the uh, the status that he was with before he broke his leg? Can Baker Mayfield prove that he is going to be the Browns quarterback of the future? I don't know that necessarily we'll get an answer to either of those questions this year, but as a result of some interesting decision-making uh, down the stretch by the officials, the Oakland Raiders are now uh, left behind the Arizona Cardinals as the only winless team uh, left in the NFL uh, you just heard Roberto uh, there in the background. Was it the right
7: call? It was the right call, Clay. No doubt about it. Uh,
3: what else stood out to you guys? I mean, the Raiders and the Browns game, obviously, was uh, was one that went into overtime. Didn't end until, I think, after like 8 Eastern. Uh, that game extended on and on and on. What other games stood out to you, Justin Cooper, other than that one, which really doesn't matter that much?
6: Well, I, I thought that... The Dolphins were a lot better than they looked on uh, on Sunday. I don't know if it's you know the Patriots finally waking up or if you know they got up for a, a divisional game. I, I did. I just you know I thought it would be close because it's a divisional rivalry, but Patriots just stomped on them. And I, I I don't. I'm not ready to proclaim. Oh, you know they're back. Tom Brady's back. Patriots are back. But I mean it. They they embarrassed them.
3: The two worst performances, I think it's fair to say, in the NFL this weekend were undoubtedly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I think Dirk Cutter has now got a messy situation for himself. I guess he's going to go back to Jameis Winston now. I, I don't really know, but it's amazing how quickly we can go from Fitz magic, and even earlier this week on Monday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take control, get the ball back with three and a half minutes to play, if you remember. Uh, they're 2-0 and they have a chance to drive down and tie the game or potentially win it. And they get a three and out. They never get the ball back. And as a result, they fall to two and one. And then the wheels just completely came off against the Bears. And meanwhile, the Miami Dolphins looked great through three weeks. And they went on the road with a chance to cement that start to get to 4-0 and send a message to everyone, hey, we're legitimate contenders in the AFC East. And they totally fell apart. Everything went wrong. Um, Eddie Garcia, what have you got for me? What stood out to you the most from the weekend in the NFL and college football?
5: Well, I think what stood out to me the most in the NFL were the two games I circled as my games to watch. Neither one of them were very good, and that was the Patriots-Dolphins and the Steelers-Ravens. But there were a lot of interesting finishes, especially in those early games. You had, obviously, Titans and Eagles go overtime. Bengals win on a last second touchdown. Cowboys win on a field goal as time expires. And then the Texans and Colts go overtime with the interesting uh, calls by Frank Reich in that one. Browns Raiders go overtime. Seahawks get a late field goal to win. So, None of those matchups really blew me away but yet there were a lot of intrigue in those games and a lot of very fun finishes. I think in college football obviously Ohio State Penn State was a great game. I agree with you. I thought Penn State gave that game away, but I think uh Notre Dame winning in convincing fashion at home against Stanford, uh they they really uh, kind of established themselves as a team I think that I mean they still got a couple of, you know, decent games ahead, but that was a huge win for Notre Dame I thought.
3: Yeah, Notre Dame has to go on the road now against Virginia Tech and they're around five-point favorite if they win that game then they should be substantial maybe even double digit favorites in almost every game that remains of the rest of their season I don't want fighting Irish fans to lose their minds and go insane here but I think it's legitimately a valid thought at this point in time for Notre Dame to believe hey if we go 12-0 we're 100% in the college football playoff they don't have to worry about playing a conference title game they basically are the equivalent of a team, uh, you know, a golfer who gets into the clubhouse and posts a score. 12-0 Notre Dame is going to be in the college football playoff, I believe. And so you can look at this schedule now and say if you're a Notre Dame fan, hey, we get Virginia Tech this weekend. We're a legitimate contender. Uh, Eddie, you're a big, uh, I believe, Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Yeah. How nervous are you now about what's going on, the dynamic that exists with the with the Pittsburgh Steelers? You well, guys fell to 1-2-1. and one.
5: Yeah, I think Steelers fans, we all wanted to convince ourselves that we could get by without Le'Veon Bell. But clearly, as bad as the defense is, we thought the offense would be something that we could rely on as being more consistent. And it certainly wasn't last night, obviously, no points in the second half. Against Baltimore, and and you know what, I I I missed uh, called on the division. I really thought the AFC North was going to be a bad division again, and that the Steelers would even if they got off to a bad start would be fine. But the Ravens are playing Ravens football, good defense, you know, uh, dink and dunk, move the ball, run the ball and have a great kicker and win games. The Bengals, what a huge win for them in Atlanta on that last-second touchdown. I know they lost Tyler Eifert for the year. That's too bad for them. And the Browns are obviously even better. So the division's a lot tougher than I thought it would be. And, uh, yeah, the Steelers are in some trouble right now for sure. All right,
3: final segment of Hour 1. I want to go back to the overtime decisions by Mike Vrabel, Frank Reich, uh, and obviously the way that the game played out. We had three different overtime games, uh, the way the game played out between the Browns and the Raiders. What's the right way to coach overtime in the NFL? I'm going to go back to the decisions by Vrabel and by Frank Reich, and in particular, I want to dive into them and discuss whether the right decision was made, how you coach there, because I do think that we maybe got a little bit of a lesson, and for some reason... It now is normal, commonplace to get overtime in the NFL. We didn't see it hardly at all for a long time. We could have very easily had three games end in ties uh, in the NFL on the same weekend. What's going on there? We're going to dive in. We'll discuss. I'm Clay Travis. Appreciate you spending your Monday morning with us. By the way, where are our, what's our phone situation? Dub is still like in Paris now. He went to the Ryder Cup, our phone guy. Is everything now run through uh, LA? Do we have access to the phones? Yep. All right, so I'll give you the phone number, too, 877-996-6369. Allow you guys to react to any of the games that we have discussed in college football or the NFL. That's 877-996-6369. We're going to dive back in, though, uh, and we'll break down uh, for you what should you do in overtime if you're an NFL head coach. All that and more. I'm Clay Travis. Thanks for spending your Monday with us on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Geico OutKick Studio. We're brought to you by Discover Card. We treat you like you'd treat you. Uh, that is Discover Card. Um, we are rolling here, Monday edition, OutKick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Appreciate all of you spending your Monday morning with us. And I think one of the most intriguing questions that came out of the weekend, both the college football and the NFL, is how do you play overtime? three different overtime games in the NFL. There is not a lot of precedent for how to handle overtime in the NFL because, frankly, overtime in the NFL doesn't happen that often. And when it does happen, we have relatively new rules, which are you don't win with the first score if the first score is a field goal. So, for instance, in the Tennessee Titan game against the uh, Philadelphia Eagles – The Eagles won the toss, got the ball, drove down, were stopped, and kicked the field goal. So in years past, for many years in overtime, boom, the game's over. You don't have to consider anything else. All you needed to do was to win. Well, in the wake of the overtime uh, playoff game where I think it was Brett Favre and the Vikings didn't get the ball at all, right, against the Saints, and the Saints won the game, everybody said, that doesn't really seem that fair that the coin toss is so dispositive. And so they changed the rule to if you score a touchdown, the game is over and the other team doesn't have to get the ball. But if you kick a field goal, the other team gets the ball and they get the opportunity to either kick a field goal or uh, score a touchdown to win the game. So you ensure that each team gets at least one possession in overtime. So in the Titans game, they give up a field goal and then they are driving back the other direction and they face a fourth and two with what would have been a 49-yard field goal to go for the tie. So Mike Vrabel had a decision to make do I kick a field goal to go for a tie or not? And that's not really an easy decision because it's one that typically most people don't face on a regular coaching decision. In fact, it, it doesn't even happen that often to begin with. The decision that Frank Reich made in the Indianapolis Colts game was substantially different because the game was already tied. And when he went for it on fourth down, what he was doing was giving the other team an opportunity if they didn't convert that fourth down to come back the other way, the Texans, and be able to make that field goal. So I think those were two fundamentally different decisions. Obviously, the game between the Raiders and the uh, Browns went back and forth a couple of different times, multiple possessions, one missed overtime field goal by the Raiders, everything else associated with it. There wasn't as much drama in terms of those decisions. To me, the decisions made by Coach Reich and by Coach Vrabel were both, in theory, the same, which is you go for the win, but the circumstances were substantially different, i.e., the Colts were actually risking a loss when they decided to go for it on their own side of the 50. Does that make a little bit more sense? In other words, the decisions were fundamentally different. Let's go back to Vrabel's decision again, because I do think this is such an intriguing strategic discussion that hasn't been really talked about that much. First of all, Vrabel had a 49-yard field goal. A 49-yard field goal in the NFL, you probably make, what, 75 to 80% of the time? I don't have the data in front of me right now, but if you have a good field goal kicker, and the Titans do and Ryan suck up, you probably make that field goal at least 75 or 80% of the time. A 49-yard field goal is not a chip shot, but 75% or, eight, 75 or 80% of the time, let's say, you would end up with a tie there. And so the Titans would have left 2-1-1, one, and, one, and the Eagles would have left 2-1-1. One, one. Fourth and two, you probably convert that in the NFL, I would guess, on a, what do you think, 55% basis, maybe maybe even closer, maybe, something like that. I would think on the NFL, on a fourth and two, you probably converted about 55% of the time. I would rather be the offense going for a fourth and two than I would the defense trying to stop it. So that's a fundamentally different kind of situation. And on that play, by the way, the Titans gained 17 yards, advanced all the way to the Eagles 15, and set up would would be a winning opportunity. In other words, when Vrabel made the decision to go for it, his team was in a much better position for potentially getting the win because they were already on the other side of the field driving to try to get the win and also his percentage chance on the field goal was not great it was an aggressive play but it was one that potentially had a significant payoff in a positive direction the decision Frank Reich made I, I would have punted I'm going to be honest with you there Because I think even if you get the first down there, you're not putting yourself in a position necessarily where you know you're going to have a chance to win. I think if he had been on the other side of the field and a first down there gives you a chance to be really easily within uh, distance to go for the field goal, then I think I would have gone for it if I were on the other side of the field. I think that's kind of a no-brainer at that point because you're playing for the win. If you get a first down there, there's still not very much time left and you're still in a difficult situation, not necessarily knowing whether or not you're going to have a chance for a win. He went for it, didn't get the result he wanted. And on the next play the Texans hit a 20 plus yard uh, uh, pass. And now if you're the Colts, man, you're sitting at one and three and you are headed back to Pitts uh, headed to the play the Patriots to potentially fall to one and four and your season is basically over. All right, I teased it before. I promise you, we're going to take calls here. 877 996 6369. I, by the way, am in love with Mike Vrabel. Everything about Mike Vrabel has come up gold for the Titans so far. Three straight wins as underdogs over the Houston Texans, over the Jacksonville Jaguars, and now over the defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. I think if you're a Titans fan, you have to be ecstatic. I think uh, there are a uh, still many things to get to. Let's go to the top of Hour 2. I'll give you my top 10 in college football. We're going to talk with Barrett Salee. We will also take your calls, 877-996-6369. If you're with us, hang on. I will continue. We'll go to your calls to start off Hour 2, and I'll give you my OutKick Top 10. All of that still to come. Barrett Salee in Hour 2 and Alex Marvez in Hour 3. Hope your October is going well. Thanks for spending your Monday with us on OutKick.
2: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Live
3: from the Geico Outkick studios where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. Uh, And uh, we are off and running I hope all of you are having a fantastic Monday. We've been breaking down everything surrounding the NFL and college football. I want to hit this off the top and bring in the crew here for a moment as we start off Hour 2, by the way. What's the vibe in L.A.? There are a couple of big baseball games going on. The NL Central and the NL West are going to both be decided in early afternoon games taking place. Uh, to And then whoever loses those games will then play in another play-in game. Which will be the uh, the wild card play in game? I know that the city of Los Angeles is obsessed with the Dodgers. Uh, Justin Cooper sitting in for Danny G today. What would you assess as the uh, overall vibe in the city of Los Angeles as the Dodgers uh, postseason future hangs in the balance here with a game against the Rockies?
6: Well, Clay, I'd say that Roberto's the the better one to ask about that. I'm an, I'm an Angels fan, so I've checked out oh, of baseball season uh, a long yes. time yeah. ago.
7: <laughs> Roberto, what? who's just is, is excited that they uh, yeah. finally uh-huh. get rid of Mike Sosha
3: uh roberto what is the vibe here in 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 la i mean i think people have to be excited that they got into the playoff game to begin with right yeah, the definitely. play-in game
7: yeah definitely because a week ago it didn't look like they were gonna make the playoffs so and
3: we... and now they're the favorite at home uh and if they win then you don't have to have the stress of a one game play-in situation for the wild card not to mention back-to-back games there so what would you say uh is the overall vibe of dodger fans
7: oh everybody's excited well, i'll say uh dodger fans uh the excitement level is extreme right now. Everybody's looking forward to it, uh, especially since, like you said, last week, uh, it looked like we weren't going to make the playoffs, and now now we're in good position. If we win, then uh, uh, Dodgers host the Braves. But if they lose, then they have to play tomorrow, so they have to win. It's a must-win, obviously.
3: Dodgers-Braves would be a fascinating series to see what happens. Atlanta Young uh, in front of the uh, the overall race. Now, I don't think anybody anticipated that the, that the Braves would be as good as they were so early. And also... Hate to say it for all the people listening in Atlanta. Atlanta, one of our biggest markets out there. The Braves have such a tortured postseason history that it doesn't matter who they're playing against. Brave fans get nervous. And obviously then the Cubs also going up against the Brewers. So you got several of the big brands of uh, the National League battling it out down the stretch here to see what's going to happen. Those games, uh, I believe, are on ESPN back-to-back. And then it leads into Monday Night Football. So October, I think, is the best month of the year in general in uh, in all of sports and this is a heck of a start off for october 1st to get back-to-back uh division deciding playoff games individual game decisions and then to follow that up with uh, monday night football and we'll see whether patrick mahomes and the chiefs can take their uh, t- take their magic on the road against the denver broncos so that's an exciting day of sports going on all day long all right uh let's take a couple of your calls and then i'll give you my outkick top 10 and then we're going to be joined by barrett Salee. uh college football week five now complete i'll also tell you who i would put in for the uh for the college football playoff if i was going to do it uh jose and fremont what's up my man
1: what's up brother hey check this out man i went to the game yesterday, raider cleveland game man we got that w but i am like I'm pretty much done with Derek Carr, man. I'm not even playing, bro. I don't know how David, I don't know how David Carr stuck back into the league, and I don't know what he did with Derek, but he's gotta bring <laughs> it back. Hey, check this out. I need to ask you for a favor. I'm the one that called and made the Bulls prediction that the Chiefs would take out, um, what's his name, Jimmy G. For that, is there any way I can get a signed copy of your book? And I'll pay you for the book, but I just want a signed copy, bro, because you're the bomb. You keep it real, and I love the show.
3: Well, first of all, you could email me, uh, and uh, and I'll see about getting you a signed copy. I'm travis at Gmail. I appreciate the call. Uh, the book, by the way, is continuing to dominate. We were one of the 10 best-selling nonfiction books in America in the entire country, uh, and they've had to go back to print twice since we released on Tuesday. That's how many of you have gone out and bought the book. A lot of you went to bookstores all over the country, Amazon. I just want to say thanks, by the way. That's extraordinary. Uh, the book's called Republicans by Sneakers too. I think you guys will enjoy it if you enjoy the show. But they've had to go back to the printer twice to do additional print runs because we sold so many copies in the first week of this release. And again, we're one of the 10 best-selling nonfiction books in the entire country this, week, uh, this past week. The book's been out for six days now. It's been in the top 100 virtually that entire time on Amazon so thank you guys for all of uh, all of that support uh Cal in San Jose what's up Cal
1: hey Clay love your show buddy appreciate um- it you know, I, the first, and the, you mentioned earlier about the two ties already in the NFL this year. We could easily have had five already this year.
3: Could have had three and, today. Could have had three yesterday very easily that all ended in ties. Could have easily had the Titans and the Eagles, the uh, the game between the Colts and the Texans, and certainly the Raiders and the Browns. All of those games could have easily ended in a tie.
1: I mean, and nobody loves ties. I mean, hell, e- even the NHL uh, figured out the ties are no good. I was just thinking, you know, isn't it time for the
2: NFL to start looking at college football overtime? I mean, and also a lot of people
1: forget that overtime is ten minutes now instead of fifteen. Yeah, you have an you have an opening drive that lasts six or seven minutes. The other team only and they get a field goal. The other team has two minutes to try to march down the field to try to do something. You know, at least with college football overtime, I mean, it's so exciting, so much fun. And the reason they reduced the 10 minutes in the first place was to reduce injuries. Well, this would reduce injuries even more by doing the college football overtime.
3: Yeah, you know what? I I agree with you. I think college football overtime is much better than NFL overtime. And you're right. A lot of people have forgotten that it used to be a 15-minute overtime. Now it's a 10-minute overtime. And uh, the Titans game is a great example. You had two possessions. The Eagles drove down, and then the Titans drove down. And they took up almost the entire uh, time. The Titans scored, I believe, with 18 seconds left to end that game on a third and 10. Otherwise, even though he got credit for being so aggressive, I don't think there's any doubt that Mike Vrabel would have kicked the field goal on fourth and goal from the 10 because the percentage chance of scoring a touchdown there is so low, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he would have thrown it in the end zone again. Uh, but to me, the play there would have been, obviously, to kick, the, uh, to kick the chip shot field goal and just ended it effectively in a tie. But I do think if they went to college football rules, start at the 25-yard line, I think the NFL, the the one challenge with college football overtime is it can potentially go on forever. So I I think maybe in the NFL, you would start at the 40. I I think that would be a better way to ensure because then you still uh, could get in a situation where the defense could get out without having allowed any points. And so if you started at the 40, then uh, I, I think it would be a little bit more challenging and you'd probably end it. The other thing is, I don't think you'd want to go back and forth like seven or eight times, although people who had those players in fantasy would be like, oh, my God, the the, the, the amount of touchdowns and everything else you could post would be extraordinary. I think uh, what would have to happen is you'd have to go for two every time or whatever. You I, I think you'd try to end it in one overtime possession, and it would, I think, be a lot faster if you did it that way. Uh, good call, and I do think that college football overtime is superior to NFL overtime. Uh, let me go ahead and give you my top ten. I think we have top ten music. This is uh, my college football top 10 through five weeks. We had five weekends in September, which is pretty crazy to think about uh, already. And so many teams, college football is tough because the season off season is so long. And then the season gets here and you're like, man, after five weeks in September and almost half of college football season is already over. So here is my top 10. These are up on OutKick. Uh, You can go check it out at outkick.com. Uh, my outkick national top ten going in reverse order. I've got Penn State at ten. Uh, the Nittany Lions were oh so achingly close to being in control in the Big Ten East, having a bye week, sitting at uh, sitting at five and zero, being ecstatic about how the season had gone. Instead, they lose to uh, to Ohio State. The Buckeyes come back from dead. So I've got Penn State at number ten overall. Number nine overall. I've still got the Washington Huskies there. They lost in week one to Auburn, a really tough loss. I still believe Washington is the best team in the Pac-12, particularly now that Stanford has lost and dropped out of my top 10. So I've got Penn State 10, Washington 9 in the eight spot. Still not convinced how good they are. But the West Virginia Mountaineers are really pretty outstanding so far. They've won every game by eight or more. They went on the road against Texas Tech. They've got a couple of games they should win now. In particular, Kansas is coming to uh, West Virginia. That game, uh, if you want to kind of put a circle around it, for the Big 12 is Oklahoma finishes off the season in at West Virginia on the Friday after Thanksgiving this year. Here's the challenge with that game. It may well be immediately replicated in the big 12 title game there's a decent chance oklahoma and west virginia are the two best teams in the big 12 this year and that they will immediately replay each other now there's still a lot to go on maybe that won't happen but we'll see what ends up happening with uh with that game i got west virginia at eight in the seven spot auburn was not that good this weekend their offense has been just okay frankly uh, the Auburn Tigers, they really haven't hit their stride yet with Jared Stidham and Co. The defense has been pretty consistent. I've got Auburn at number seven, uh, still just basically one play away from being undefeated. They lost to LSU, gave up that late uh, lead in, uh, in at home at Jordan-Hare. In the sixth spot, I've got Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Sooners, Kyler Murray, continue to roll. They got past Army last weekend, got past Iowa State the weekend before. Uh, I've got Oklahoma at six overall. In the five spot, and this is where I think you get kind of difficult, I've got Ohio State. And then in the four, I've got Notre Dame. People say, well, how do you end up with Ohio State and Notre Dame at four and five, and how do you decide which one belongs which place? I think Notre Dame with Ian Book has won over two better opponents in Michigan and in Stanford than Ohio State has in their wins over TCU and Penn State. In other words, I think Notre Dame's wins, if you just look at them, their best wins, the best wins of Notre Dame against Stanford and against Michigan are better than the best wins of Ohio State against TCU, which now has two losses, and against Penn State which, uh, Notre, which Ohio State had to come storming back to beat. So I've got Ohio State at five. This means my final four playoff right now would be Notre Dame in the four spot. I've got LSU in the three. I think LSU has the two best wins of any team so far. They beat Miami, who has went on, gone on and won every game since, and they beat Auburn, who has gone on and beat every game since, too. So I've got LSU at the three. I've got Georgia number two, and I've got the Alabama Crimson Tide number one. Alabama covered a forty-eight point line in the first half against Louisiana this past weekend. They got up forty-nine to nothing before they gave up two second-half touchdowns. Alabama is just a total juggernaut. Play pray for Arkansas this weekend. So that is my top ten. Up next, we're going to talk with Barrett Salee. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy him. We'll run through everything in the college football universe and beyond. I'll also ask him what the vibe is in Atlanta, where, boy, the Falcons lost a really, really tough game against the Cincinnati Bengals at home. That's two straight, brutally tough losses for the Atlanta Falcons. Back-to-back weekends. I'll also ask Barrett about the Atlanta Braves, uh, what the vibe is in the city of Atlanta as the Braves prepare to play the winner of either the Dodgers or the uh, or the Colorado Rockies in that NF, NL, NL West play-in game. We know you're a big sports fan. Football season is here, obviously, and a lot of people are excited to wager on games. You can get it on the action with MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is the industry-leading sports action website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take aside the total, or you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score. MyBookie.net lets you play online and win big. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie.net has in-game live action on every major league event, even eSports. There's no better time to join MyBookie.net than today. Go to MyBookie.net to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CLAY when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus. Get in on the action. Visit MyBookie.net's website today And use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, to get a 100% sign-up bonus. MyBookie.net, promo code CLAY for 100%. Bonus, no deposit necessary. Terms and conditions apply. For entertainment purposes only, void where prohibited. How do the Braves look? How do the Falcons look? Plus, everything in college football. It's up next with Barrett Salee right here on Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back Geico Outkick Studios car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price list price and invoice true car shows you what other people paid for the car you want. So you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car visit true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, we are joined now by Barrett Salee you can go read him at CBS Sports. Uh, and Barrett uh, before we get going with some college football breakdown you're in Atlanta there are a couple of big Atlanta storylines going on first of all the Braves in the postseason I don't think anybody anticipated that before the season started how excited is Atlanta for the Braves postseason run to start
2: really pumped Clay I mean I've been here for 38 years and uh, I've been a season ticket holder since I was born and, and I remember 1991 as a kid very well and this is comparable to 1991, if you remember. They were worst to first, went to the World Series, lost to the Twins. Not saying that's going to happen this year, but uh, the excitement, the drama, um, you know, the 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 surprise that the entire season has, uh, you know, was I think has sort of uh, captivated the city. So, uh, you know, I think it's um, it's going to have that that same kind of feel. Um, you know, it, in 1991, early 90s, Fulton County was rocking, um, and I think SunTrust will be like that uh, this week or next week. Um, starting Sunday so yeah I mean it's, it's a big deal it, it's as big of a deal as 1991 uh, because I think a lot of people around here look at this team and and say you know what um that one had staying power and and this one probably does too
3: um that is intriguing in and of itself who do you think Braves fans want would they rather play the Dodgers or the Rockies or does it really matter to them
2: I I don't think it matters all that much I if I, I if there's a slight edge Maybe the Dodgers, just because I, I think they can, our, the pitching staff can probably deal more with them in terms of, of um, you know, strikeouts and things like that. Um, the Rockies, top to bottom, that lineup, I mean, they were here, you know, a month and a half ago. That lineup is, is not just powerful, they, they, they dink and dunk you to death, too. And so I think probably the Dodgers.
3: All right, so that's baseball, and obviously we've got the two play-in games going on today between the Cubs and the Brewers, and the uh, and the and the Dodgers and the uh, Rockies. Tough, brutal loss for the second straight week for the Atlanta Falcons, who are now fallen, I believe, to one and three. Lost back-to-back home uh, home games just uh, in devastating fashion. What is the vibe on the Falcons now uh, as the first month of the season is done and they're sitting at one and three?
2: Honestly, the vibe is the season's over. That—that uh, that is, I think, reality of, of where that this team is, and uh, it's not really due to anything that Steve Sarkeesian did, which is surprising because I think a lot of people around here figured he'd be the problem. It's just injuries. With, with so many people banged up, with the defense that has, you know, three stars uh, lost for, uh, if not the entire year, most of the year. Th- the feeling is that there's no chance. Of, of consistently being better than, than the Saints uh, or, or the, uh, the Panthers in the division and, and that the defense is going to be a liability pretty much the entire season. And, and while Matt Ryan's great and, you know, there's, there's a lot of talent on the offensive side, you know, it's going to be one of those, those seasons where if you kick a field goal instead of a touchdown and a couple drives, um, you're done. And so uh, I just I, one in three start with no defense, uh, I think it's, uh, it's pretty clear that this season's lost.
3: All right, let's go to college football. Biggest game, most interesting game I thought of the weekend by far. I was there in person for the whiteout for Penn State against Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State steals it away late. Was this more of a Penn State loss or an Ohio State win?
2: I, mean, I still think it was an Ohio State win. Um, certainly, the fourth and five call was atrocious, and, and Penn State certainly could have made some noise had that call not been not been made. But you have to give credit to Ohio State for what they did. Tough, tough spot. Uh, really raucous atmosphere at night. One of the most unique atmospheres, I think, in college football. When it's the whiteout at Penn State at night, and they came back from a twelve-point hole, um, and they did it. You know, while Dwayne Haskins was under fire, and you he heard the pregame talk where um, some of his former high school teammates said, "Hey, look, you get him out of the pocket, you get him rattled, he'll fold." And for three quarters, that looked accurate. And to his credit, he. You know, got himself together and, and made some really, really big plays in the face of a ton of pressure in the fourth quarter coming out of that 12-point hole. So uh, to me, it's, it's more Ohio State winning. It's more Ohio State um, not backing down and, and not being intimidated by a hostile atmosphere. Um, and that's not to say that, that Penn State necessarily threw it away. I think the only reason Penn State, you could argue, threw it away was the fourth and five call outside of that. They just got beat by a slightly better team that night, and I think it's it's weird coming out of that game. I kind of felt like both of those teams are still top five, top six teams in the country.
3: I can see that argument for sure. What would your college football – well, let's go first to the other big top ten game. Notre Dame dominates uh, Stanford. How much better is Notre Dame with in Book? How much uh, do you at this point think, you know what? Notre Dame's got a pretty decent chance
2: to make the college football playoff. Well, second question first. They've got a really good chance to make the college football playoff because the rest of their schedule is absolute cake. And, and getting by Stanford in the way that they did, it probably was the last big game they'll play. So that works, you know, in, in two in two ways. One, um, you know, your resume sort of is what it is at this point, and, and the playoff committee is going to look at that. But on the flip side, you're not going to get that many chances late to impress. That might work against them, but. You know, I think it's very likely that they they finish 10 and 2, 11 and 1, even 12 and 0. And, and at that point, they're definitely in the conversation. And with Ian Book, you know, I think it shows just how much a guy who can just complete the passes consistently, do the small things consistently through the air, you know, it goes a long way because the offense clicks. Um, you know, Ian Book's mobile enough to, to do some damage, just like Brandon Wimbush, but unlike Brandon Wimbush, He's he's a threat through the air, and he doesn't have to go out there and be Joe Montana. He just has to look like Joe Montana every once in a while, and, and he can do that. And so, yeah, they're dangerous. They're extremely dangerous, and and with the defense that they've got, um, you know, it's one of those that's that's almost that, that's solid week in and week out. Yeah, they're a threat to make the playoff. And and again, you look down the stretch in their schedule, the toughest game they have is probably USC, maybe Virginia Tech this weekend. Although I. I would have to stretch my mind in a lot of different ways to, to count that as a big game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, not a cakewalk for them, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ran the table.
3: All right, let's talk about Clemson. They make the decision to go with Trevor Lawrence as their starting quarterback. He gets knocked out uh, of the game late in the first half. They don't play well with him at quarterback. They're very fortunate to win when Chase Bryce comes in and leads them to victory. Clemson still doesn't have a top 25 opponent on their schedule the rest mm-hmm. of the way. I believe it's still correct. Um, what do you see happening here? What's going to happen with Trevor Lawrence? Uh, did Dabo misplay this? Like, what is the 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 vibe
2: on Clemson right now? I don't think he misplayed it because he had no knowledge or no you know couldn't guess that Trevor Lawrence would get hurt the first game as a starting quarterback. So I think he played it just fine. Um, Trevor was going to be the guy from the outset. Uh, and and he gave Kelly a chance to, to win the job, and Kelly didn't. And now Kelly has a chance to go, you know, play somewhere else and and still maintain a redshirt this year. So I think he played it just fine. Just unfortunately for him, and unfortunately for Clemson, you had Trevor Lawrence get hurt in the first game uh, that he started. So you know that's unfortunate. But I think in terms of of what it means for Clemson, Chase Bryce can play. I mean, Chase Bryce, you know, you saw in that second half on a fourth down pass, that's what he can do, and. And I saw that kid play in high school a few times in some camps, too. You know, he was as good as Jake Fromm. Trevor Lawrence was at a camp. He was as good as Trevor Lawrence in the camp. I think was was one of those kids a few years ago that was sort of a diamond in the rough. He wanted to go to Clemson to learn, to redshirt, to to become a, a, a college student before a college football player. And I think because he'd been in the program for a while, he was... You know, able to come in and, and take that situation and run with it, so they can win with Chase Bryce. I don't have any doubt in my mind. I'm not they can win a playoff with them, but they can win and get to a playoff with them. I think the beauty for Clemson right now is they've got Wake this weekend. They don't play a lick of defense, and they have a bye week. So, you know, you you have a long time if you're Trevor Lawrence if you need it to, you know, sort of get right and get ready. And in the meantime, they're fully capable of, of handling business with Chase Bryce out there. So I don't think it really messes with them and their plans, you know, in the, in the near term. Now, long term, you know, yeah, you can't win a playoff with Chase Bryce. I think he's a good quarterback. He can get you there. But you need Trevor Lawrence. And so as long as he's ready by, by late November which I'm assuming that he will be unless something else happens, uh, Clemson will be just fine.
3: By the way, quote uh, from Dabo yesterday on Trevor Lawrence. Um, here is a direct quote. Uh, that He was really good. Um, this is uh, Dabo talking about Trevor Lawrence. He was trying to come back in the game yesterday. This is a quote from Sunday night. But anytime you get something with the head-neck area, there's no room for error. He was really good after the game and really good this morning. Felt great. I think they were very encouraged with what they saw. He'll work out, and they'll continue to reevaluate him. Hopefully they put him back in practice this week. So it doesn't sound like, at least based on those quotes, that this Trevor Lawrence injury is going to be something that is a multi-multi-week injury situation. What would your college football playoff be right now if you were on the committee? The reason why I ask that is, I think we're setting up for potentially some messy situations if you kind of schedule watch, right? I don't think anybody's going to beat Alabama. I think Alabama is going to go 13-0. Uh, maybe Georgia can give them a challenge in the SEC championship game. Uh, maybe LSU on the road can, can get a couple of turnovers from Tua. But based on what I've seen so far, Alabama is head and shoulders above everybody else. I think Alabama is going to go 13-0. There's a decent chance, we'll see what happens, that Ohio State could do the same now that they've got past what I think is their most difficult challenge. They survived Penn State. Clemson doesn't play a top 25 team left. Really, Notre Dame doesn't. I'm not really counting Virginia Tech as a top 25 team, even though technically they're at the very bottom of the top 25. And Oklahoma should be a substantial favorite over really everybody else they play. Now, obviously, you got the Red River uh, shootout this weekend. Maybe Texas can make a, a statement game there or something like that. What happens if you end up with five undefeated teams and Notre Dame is one of them? Because the five undefeated teams at that point in time would all be big, glowing brands, right? You'd have Alabama. Yeah. You'd have Clemson you'd have Ohio State, you would have Oklahoma, and you would have Notre Dame. If I gave you those five and said all five of them are going to go undefeated, now the odds of that happening are low, but if it happened, which guy gets left out?
2: which oh man that well first of all you'd have plenty of radio content so that, oh that's yeah good that, that is
3: i'm already starting it early i'm starting it early <laughs> with what if everybody goes undefeated but i the reason why i think it's particularly unique this year is notre dame is i think going to be in the mix now maybe now yeah. that i were talking about it right now they'll lose to virginia tech this weekend and they'll <laughs> knock themselves out but if they beat virginia tech I think it's a lot of times talking about whether a team's going to go undefeated is crazy, but when you have Clemson, who is going to be probably double-digit favorite over everybody else for the rest of their season, if Notre Dame can win this game, I think they're likely to be nearly a double-digit favorite the rest of the way. Oklahoma may be, uh, you know, I know they finished the season off with uh, with West Virginia, but I feel like they're seven and a half, eight-point favorites over Texas this weekend. Oklahoma in the Big 12 is a pretty big favorite. Bama, is just a juggernaut. The answer maybe it doesn't matter because Bama is so much better than everybody else. It doesn't even matter uh, who makes the college football playoff. But that's five big brands, and I don't think it's crazy to look at those five big brands and say, okay, we could be trending towards a situation where all five of those are in the mix.
2: Yeah, I mean, if that happens... Um, you we'll know, get an 18 I, playoff. Well, maybe. I, it, I would think that, that Notre Dame would have to be out and the reason I say this is because since everything's a big brand, and, and you said this throughout the creation of the playoff, and I have as well, it's it's a it, it's a it's a Super Bowl type event that you need to have brand recognition from across the spectrum. Since that would be all you know, all five major brands, you actually have to look at merit. And in that situation, I think Notre Dame would be out, and it's mostly due to the fact that in that situation. Oklahoma would have beaten Texas this weekend and run the Big 12 schedule and then beaten another really good team in the Big 12 championship game, no matter who it is. You know, Clemson with Clemson, you won't have to worry about them. Oklahoma, I think, might have been the fourth seed, and the battle would be between them and Notre Dame. And the resume, the hypothetical resume, I think would be in favor of the Sooners. Um, You know, I think, though, if you look at resumes, though, you know Clemson might get the benefit of the doubt because it's Clemson but they might have the worst resume of the five in that scenario yeah um you know it it would be it would be very messy and I would be here for all of the mess that would be fantastic content
3: all right we're talking to Barrett Salee go read him at cbssports.com you can follow him at Barrett two r's two t's two l's two e's uh on twitter at Barrett Salee okay let's go right into uh to this this fact which I love there are 3 teams right now in Big 5 conferences. So I'm leaving out Central Florida. So everybody who's a Central mm-hmm. Florida fan, I'm not talking about you, although you guys have been fantastic. Five major conferences. There are 3 teams that have been that are undefeated and have won every game this year by double digits. First two probably not going to surprise very many people. Alabama and Georgia. Third team, Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky is 5 and 0 and has won every game by double digits so far this year, how good is Kentucky?
2: Good, but not great, uh, because I'd argue the, the opener against Central Michigan um, double digits was a miracle to get to that point. Yeah, um, you know, so uh, yeah, they're they're very good. You know, I think Benny Snell, we knew about him. Terry Wilson, nobody knew how good he'd be at quarterback because he was in a battle with Gunnar Hoke all offseason. and and that dude fits exactly what they want to do. And credit Eddie Grand, their offensive coordinator, to you know bending his system consistently to fit the strength of his quarterbacks. And so, um, you know, that one-two punch is is, is incredible, and that's a, a surprise in terms of the quarterback. I think the biggest thing that they've done is on both sides of the line of scrimmage, they have grown men in terms of, of not just size and strength but age. They've got mature guys who have been in the program for a very long time who are also not only ultra-talented, but ultra-developed, like Josh Allen, who I think he was a two-star kid, and now he's going to be a first-round draft pick. So they've got they've got adults playing on both lines of scrimmage. Now, they don't have the depth, and you have to make sure, your Kentucky, that you, you don't have some injuries, but they're a legit top-10, top-15 team. They're, they're, they're a serious threat, the most serious threat to Georgia in the SEC East, and it's because they can play... Um, you know, grown man football at the line of scrimmage on both sides. And and I think for a team like Kentucky in a program like you get these years. Sometimes you have years where it just sort of comes together and you look at the at the line of scrimmage and you say, Wow, you know, these guys are redshirt juniors. These guys are redshirt seniors. They're they're adults who have done this for, you know, multiple seasons together. And and a lot of times that is what makes some of those teams come out of nowhere. And Kentucky's that team this year. So I it, I think when they get to Uh, the Georgia game which I believe is is November 3rd they might be undefeated still and and that might be the game that decides the SEC East
3: all right uh last question for you big game coming up this weekend for LSU which I think is still a bit of an enigma how good is LSU (laughs) uh what do you see happening between LSU going on the road against Florida and how good are the Gators coming off a second big road
2: win Mississippi State this week Tennessee last week I think it's going to look like a um, much uglier, if that's possible, version of the LSU Auburn game where, you know, Auburn couldn't uh, muster up a lot of offense and and nearly found a way to win it. And Florida's offense, I think, is a little bit of a step back. And so, um, you know, it's going to come down to defense. It's going to come down to Joe Burrow making a play or two um, because Florida, say what you will about their offense, and, and there's a lot of of, of doubt out there even after the two wins that Florida's offense is still halfway, is it, even halfway decent, but their defense has been wiped out. So uh, on the road in a tough environment, Joe Burrow has done it before. We've seen that now. Now Florida's going to probably make him do it again. And, and so I'm surprised the lines came out. I think LSU was only a two-and-a-half-point road favorite, which is I think a little shocking to me. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be a tough test. Florida is, is not necessarily a legit team. But they're a legit threat in the game because of the swamp and because of the defense and because Joe Burrow still is relatively unproven. So, um, you know, I I think LSU will probably get the job done. But, you know, I I expect that to be a a really, really ugly football game, a lot like uh, Florida and Mississippi State last weekend, because that's the way Florida has to play, and they can dictate it. And quite honestly, it's kind of the way LSU wants to play, too.
3: Outstanding stuff as always. Appreciate you waking up early with us. Enjoy that Braves playoff run. Pray for the Falcons. That's Barrett Salee at Barrett Salee on Twitter. You can go read him at CBSSports.com. Uh, bring in Eddie Garcia. What's shaking, my man?
5: Let's start with the Geico scoreboard from the NFL. In Week 4 Sunday night, it was the Ravens improving to 3-1 with a 26-14 win over the Steelers in late action. Overtime for the Raiders to get their first win of the year, beating the Browns 45-42. Saints improved to 3-1 with a 33-18 win over the Giants. Seahawks get a late field goal to get by the Cardinals, 20-17. Arizona 0-4 now on the year. Chargers edge the 49ers, 29-27. In early action, overtime for the Titans to beat the Eagles 26-23. Tennessee's 3-1. So since Cincinnati after getting a late touchdown to beat the Falcons on the road 37-36. Cowboys on a field goal as time expires, beat the Lions 26-24. Overtime for the Texans to beat the Colts on the road 37-34. First one of the year for Houston. Bears get six touchdown passes from Mitchell Trubisky in a 48-10 win over the Buccaneers. Patriots had the Dolphins their first loss 38-7. Jaguars are 3-1 after beating the Jets 31-12. And the Packers shut off the Bills 22-0. Baseball, Dodgers and Rockies both win the regular season finales on Sunday. They are both tied with 91-71 records. LA and Colorado will play a one-game tiebreaker in Los Angeles 4 p.m. Eastern time today to decide who wins the NL West, who will be a wild card team. Cubs and Brewers also win. They finish the season with 95-67 and 67 records. They'll play a one-game tiebreaker at 1 p.m. Eastern in Chicago later today to decide who wins the NL Central and who will be a wild card team. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to geico.com and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Back to Clay Travis and the GEICO. I'll kick the coverage studios.
3: I'm getting blown up on twitter who'd i forget top 25 teams won every game by double digits i'll tell you next this is fox sports radio welcome back geico outkick studios i appreciate all of you hanging out with us here in the geico outkick studios where it's always easy to save 15 percent or more on car insurance with geico go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO the only hard part figuring out which way is easier as well It's never a good look when you untuck a long, bulky dress shirt. That's why Untuck It makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked. Go to untuckit.com to see the new fall arrivals. Untuckit.com, your solution to perfecting casual. Use promo code Clay for 20% savings. That's untuckit.com, promo code Clay. My phone is being blown up right now under siege from NC State fans who are saying, hey, we're in the top 25 and we're undefeated and we've beaten every team by double digits. That's fair. That's true. You beat James Madison by 11. You beat Georgia State by 34. Got a postponed game against West Virginia. That would have been intriguing to see what would have happened in that game. Beat Marshall and just beat Virginia. So uh, you've got Boston College this weekend in Raleigh. If you win that game, beat Boston College, you'll be five and zero, and you will be uh, have a week off, and you'll get ready to go on the road against Clemson. So if you're an NC State fan, you can be excited about that uh, that as a possible game that would be massive. If you can get past Boston College and be five and zero, then Clemson is on the road, and that would be a massive game for NC State to uh, to set up. That would also be a Clemson game against a top 25 opponent, which, to be honest, Clemson does not have right now. When you look at what Clemson's schedule is right now, through five games, they have managed to get past Syracuse, they managed to get past Texas A&M, four-point win over Syracuse, two-point win over Texas A&M. But you look at the rest of their way, got Wake Forest this weekend, you just heard Barrett Salee say Wake Forest got no defense. Then you got NC State, which is actually a top 25 opponent, Uh, then you go to FSU which generally would be a massive game for Clemson but Florida State's not any good this year you get Louisville which I mean a lot of years is a big game Louisville's not any good this year you go to Boston College that could actually be a little bit of a dangerous game because BC is pretty decent you get Duke at home and then you get South Carolina at home honestly even if you are a Clemson fan this is probably the easiest schedule that Clemson has had in 15 or 20 years Not to mention they have a really good football team, a talented football team. But right now, the only top 25 team on their regular season radar is NC State. And we're not really sure how good of a team NC State is. They're 4-0, but if they had played West Virginia and beaten West Virginia, we'd have a better idea. Even if they'd played West Virginia and lost to West Virginia, we would have seen them play against a good team and have a better sense of what that situation would be. By the way, West Virginia was around a four-point favorite on the road in that game against NC State to give you a little bit of an idea uh, what the odds makers think of the overall talent there at NC State. Uh, Incredible weekend of college football and NFL action. We're going to dive back in and break all that down for you at the top of our three. I also encourage you to download the podcast first day of October. What we like to do? Well, I'd like to have October be the biggest month for podcast downloads ever, replacing September, which just ended, And was the biggest week of podcast, biggest month of podcast downloads of all time. So we are on a roll here. I'd like to set a new record in October. So make sure you go download the podcast. In hour three, we're going to talk with Alex Marvez. We'll break down all of the NFL action. Get you ready. Uh, for Monday Night Football as well tonight with Kansas City Chiefs going on the road against the Denver Broncos. We will discuss the outcome of, uh, of that game as well. But when we come back, top of hour three, I'll give you my biggest takeaways from the NFL and college football, and we will unpack and break down everything surrounding those games. Again, I was at the Penn State-Ohio State game. Amazing environment. In Happy Valley. I got stuck in the Pittsburgh airport while that game was going on last night between the Steelers and the Ravens. Everybody in Pittsburgh walking around in Pittsburgh Steeler jerseys. Stuck at that airport for four hours. Worked on my starting 11 column. You can go read my college football playoff four, my top 10, my SEC power rankings 1 to 14. That's up front page of outkick.com right now. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to break down all the NFL action and all of the college football action. I'll tell you my biggest takeaways all that still to come plus Alex Marvez encourage you guys to go download the podcast also want to thank you again for all the support you showed in the first week for my book i am doing a live signing on uh, on Wednesday in Nashville. And then I'm going down to the beach this coming weekend. I'll do a signing in Rosemary Beach and also in Seaside, Florida. If some of you happen to be down there on Saturday and Sunday, should be pretty awesome down there this weekend. Up next, NFL and college football takeaways. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio.
2: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
3: Live from the Geico Outkick Studios where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. The weekend that was in the NFL and college football, basically week four in the NFL in the books. We got a Monday night game going on today, which I'm sure we'll talk about tomorrow morning quite a bit. It is the Kansas City Chiefs going on the road against Denver Broncos. That will complete NFL Week 4 action. But we basically have got a quarter of the NFL season complete. We're going to dive into your NFL action. College football. Five different September Saturdays. Many of your teams have now played nearly half of their regular season games in college football. I will run you through what I think the biggest takeaways were from a weekend that was filled with a lot of action, including four top 10 teams playing against each other. What did we learn? Much to discuss. Let's begin in the NFL, where I thought the two best endings to the NFL season, maybe the best game that's been played so far in the NFL. The Titans hosting the Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles go into overtime, tie game, the Eagles have already kicked a field goal. Mike Vrabel has an important decision to make. Does he bring on the field goal unit to kick a 49-yard field goal and try to tie the game? It's a decision that isn't faced very often in an NFL game. You've given up a field goal on the opening possession. Eagles win the flip, go down, drive, kick a field goal to go up 23-20. What do you do if you're Mike Vrabel? You got a really good field goal kicker in Ryan Suckup. He's lined up there with a 49 yard field goal that could make it a tie game and give you a tie against the defending Super Bowl champions. Mike Vrabel, first year head football coach for the Tennessee Titans, decides that's not going to work for him. He's going to roll the dice. He goes for it on fourth and two instead of trying a 49 yard field goal for the win. Gets a 17-yard gain with Marcus Mariota, who, by the way, would complete 15 straight passes uh, in the second half. He was flawless, and then he completed his first pass in overtime. 14 for 14, coming back from a 14-point deficit, Marcus Mariota in the second half. Uh, The Titans drive down third and 10, third and goal from the 10, 18 seconds to play. This is what it sounded like on the Titans radio network.
0: This is going to be the play for the win, barring a penalty. Blitz coming. Mariota throws in the end zone. Man is there. Touchdown Titans!
3: All right, so that's Mike Keith on the call there. What's interesting to follow is that was Corey Davis's first touchdown in the regular season. He had a touchdown catch against the Patriots in the divisional round of the playoffs last year, but. Corey Davis, the number five overall pick now in his second year. Marcus Mariota still dealing with nerve issues in his fingers was phenomenal throughout this game. Titans surged to three and one. If the season were over today, they would win the AFC South and host a playoff game by virtue of their win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Those two teams still both three and one in the AFC South. The other big, crazy, wild ending that came down to the final play effectively. The Bengals on the road against the Falcons. Falcons in a must-win game already sitting at one and two. Andy Dalton is driving, and this is what it sounded like on that game.
5: Twelve seconds to go. Dalton back to throw. He's Boom pass. Boom! Caught yeah! By AJ Green. Yeah. Touchdown! Bengals! Big. The clock is winding down, but it should be stopped with five seconds to go.
0: Joe Mixon ran down the sideline and jumped on top of A.J. Green in celebration, and Joe Mixon looked good.
3: Bengals are also 3-1, and one, and they would be in first place, and they would win the AFC North if that division were ending by virtue of their tiebreak break over the Ravens, who they won uh beat earlier in the season. So those were two spectacular endings if you are a Titans or a Bengals fan. If you are a Eagles or if you are a Falcons fan, that was a brutal way to have your games end on Sunday afternoon. Now, on, there were three overtime games, and as good as Mike Vrabel's decision turned out for the Tennessee Titans, it ended up even worse for the Indianapolis Colts, who were 1-2, In overtime in a tie game, having fought back from a 28-10 deficit, Andrew Luck is thrown for over 400 yards on their own side of the field. The Colts decide to go for it rather than punt the Texans back deep and hope to uh, get a uh, tie result. Here is Frank Wright. He went for it on fourth down. They did not get it. As a result, the uh, the the Houston Texans are basically in field goal range. DeAndre Hopkins catches a pass from Deshaun Watkins. Boom, the Texans kick a field goal to get off of the 0-3 mark, get to 1-3 with a road win against the Colts. Here was Frank Reich explaining his decision for why he went for it in overtime.
4: We're not playing to tie. I mean, we're going for that 10 times out of 10. That's just the way it's got to roll. Yeah, I think that's who we're going to be as a team. You know, we're, we're going to be aggressive. That's what, that's what we want in our players. That's a mindset that we have in our players. That's the only way to win in this league, I think. Whenever you lose, you always go back and you reevaluate every play. In the perfect scenario, we don't call timeout. We just go for it the first, the first time. I mean, there's no doubt that's the, that's the way it probably is best to play it out, but that's not how it played out. So that's on me.
3: I understand what Frank Wright was doing there. I think the, the difference was he's on his side of the field. I think you probably punt there. I understand all of his players saying, yeah, we thought it was the right decision. How often do you see players publicly question a decision like that where he puts it on them to try to win the game? I just think you're in a really difficult position now if you are the Colts. You're sitting at 1-3, and three, and effectively you have a must-win game on the road against the New England Patriots. If you're the Colts, you have to win that game because if you fall to 1-4, and four, your odds of getting back involved in the middle of this playoff race, given how the Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars are both sitting at 3-1, and one, is almost zero. Let's be honest. And that is a tall order of business to expect that the Colts are going to go on the road and be able to win in Foxborough. This was a must-win game for the Colts. It was also a must-win game for the Texans. We had three games go into overtime. A fourth game, as you've already heard, between the Falcons and the Bengals decided on the final play, basically, of the game. Well, the final play of the game did decide the Raiders against the Browns. The Raiders 0-3 trying to win the first game of the John Gruden era. This is what it sounded like in Oakland in overtime. For the win. It's good.
0: Ring
4: the church bells. The Raiders are a winner. Just finished, baby. How about that? Finally got one. Hugs go all around. What a gutsy game.
3: So the Raiders come storming back, get the two-point conversion late to uh, to put that game into overtime, miss a field goal earlier, and then find a way to win 45-42. As we almost are done with the uh, the NFL action, we've got the Chiefs uh, on the road against the Broncos uh, tonight for finishing off Monday Night Football. The other games I would say that definitely stand out, and we're obviously going to be unpacking these games for days to come, the Patriots dominate the Dolphins. Maybe the Patriots are not yet dead. The late night game uh, last night, Sunday night football game, the Pittsburgh Steelers lose at home to the Baltimore Ravens. The Steelers may be in legitimate trouble. The Cowboys storm back, find a way to win late against the Lions. Uh, a late field goal, Matthew Stafford was pretty outstanding. The uh, the field goal walk-off by the Dallas Cowboys, no time remaining on the clock to win by two over the Detroit Lions in what was frankly a must-win game for both of those teams, the Lions now one and three, the Cowboys now two and two. Other big story: Fitzmagic gets benched. The Buccaneers just get dominated by the Bears. Mitch Trubisky comes out, throws six touchdown passes, and the Chicago Bears are three and one. Tampa Bay, remember, it wasn't too long ago. In fact, it was one week ago today. They had the ball with three minutes left, 2-0, and with a chance to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Instead, the wheels come off in week four. Um, the uh, Seahawks, we haven't even spent very much time talking about this. We will, I'm sure, tomorrow. Earl Thomas breaks his leg, flicks off the Seattle Seahawks sideline as he is rolled off. That is a storyline worth unpacking. And uh, look, I mean, there are obviously other results none of them I would say where you watched them and you were like oh that was an incredible game I can't believe what I saw so that is the NFL picture in college football I was uh at, went up to Happy Valley never been before white out 110,000 plus people amazing environment Penn State goes up 26 to 14 with eight minutes to play and you thought boy they are in really good shape and then the wheels come off, the Ohio State Buckeyes find a way to win for a second straight year, double-digit comeback to win by a point over Penn State, and as a result, Ohio State now in control of the Big Ten East and, frankly, in control of the Big Ten overall, it would appear. We will see uh, whether that remains the case. They have to go on the road against Michigan State. They have to go on the road against Purdue in a game that I think is probably going to be tougher than a lot of people realize. Purdue's got a pretty good team. They could very easily be 5-0. and They got a big win over Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska, winless still. Scott Frost got a messy situation in Nebraska. Eventually, he's going to turn it around. But boy, it has not gone very well in year one. So uh, the college football other big story, I would say, is Notre Dame and Ian Book getting the massive win over, uh, over Stanford. And now the Pac-12 is really in a difficult spot when it comes to trying to get a team into the college football playoff again. Ian Book has made that Notre Dame offense look a lot better than Brandon Wimbush did. And the Irish now go on the road against Virginia Tech and have a decent chance. I don't think it's crazy at all if you're a Notre Dame fan to look and say, hey, we could potentially go 12-0 and this year. I think there's some possibility of that happening. Uh, meanwhile, the other usual suspects continue to dominate. Georgia dominates over Tennessee. Alabama dominates over uh, Louisiana. And uh, LSU actually rolled out and really whipped up on Ole Miss so uh, my top 10 as a result my top 10 best teams in college football right now in the uh, in the 10 spot I have got uh, I have got Penn State Uh, very easily could have won would have been probably if Penn State had won they would have been my number five team in college football but they lose and so I've still got them at 10 I've got Washington at number nine overall. The Huskies only lost neutral site game, although, frankly, it was on the road against Auburn. In the eighth spot, I've got West Virginia. Big win on the road against Texas Tech for Dana Holgerson's team. They came out, and they got up big early, and they hung on. Auburn, I've got in the seventh spot. They weren't that impressive this weekend. We'll see what happens with Auburn on the road against Mississippi State this weekend. In the sixth spot, I have got Oklahoma. I've got the Sooners at six, Ohio State at five. Ohio State Buckeye fans are mad. Look, it's Ohio State or it's Notre Dame in my fourth spot right now. And I think Notre Dame's wins, given how sound they have been over both Michigan and, in particular, over Stanford, who I had rated higher than I did Penn State, I had a win over Stanford being more impressive by 21 than Ohio State's comeback late to beat Ohio State thought Notre Dame was more impressive I think their resume so far is better I've got Notre Dame at four I've got LSU at three LSU goes on the road against Florida this weekend and then next weekend they get Georgia coming to Death Valley down in Baton Rouge so we'll see whether LSU plays well whether they can keep their season undefeated get to uh, 6-0 and it's crazy half their season would be done if they can beat the Florida Gators this coming weekend, Florida, Dan Mullen has to be really happy. Back-to-back road wins. Mississippi State gets... Uh, get uh, Florida gets the win over Mississippi State this weekend, Tennessee the weekend before. I have got Georgia at number two overall, and I have got Alabama at number one. That, my friends, is my outkick top ten as we come into what is now college football week six. All right, we're going to be joined by Alex Marvez. We will break down all of the NFL action in a more thorough manner with him. We'll discuss the three different overtime games, right decision, wrong decision from Mike Vrabel and Frank Reich for the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts, respectively, to go for it in overtime, see what he thinks. Is this just a function of looking back and seeing what the result is? all that and more but first I want to tell you it's never a good look when you untuck a long bulky dress shirt. You may think it makes you look casual but more than likely it just ends up looking sloppy. That's why Untuck It makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked. A casual shirt that's not too long and not too short. It's just right. Shirts designed so well GQ calls them perfection. Untuck It shirts are a go-to for any occasion from casual to dressy, and not only do they look good, they feel great. Impeccable craftsmanship and attention to detail make Untuck it the only choice for the untucked man. With more than 50 sizing options, every guy can find the perfect shirt, whether you have a six-pack or you haven't seen your abs since college. Log on to Untuckit.com and check out all the new fall arrivals. Use promo code CLAY for 20% off your entire first-time purchase. You can also visit Untuckit at one of their over 40 retail locations throughout the country. Stop hiding your shirt with your pants and your pants with your shirt. Untuckit.com, your solution to perfecting casual. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, 20% for 20% savings welcome back Geico Outkick Studios car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price list price and invoice true car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car visit true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience It's always a confident show let me bring in my guy Eddie Garcia going to be joined by Alex Marvez here shortly what you got for me Eddie
5: Let's give you a Geico scoreboard from week four in the NFL Sunday night. It was the Ravens scoring twelve unanswered points in the second half to pull away and beat the Steelers on the road twenty-six to fourteen. Baltimore now three and one on the year. Pittsburgh one-two and one on the season. Late action, Raiders get their first win of the year thanks to an overtime field goal to beat the Browns 45-42. Derek Carr, four touchdowns for Oakland. Saints over the Giants 33-18. New Orleans is 3-1 with that road win. Alvin Kamara rushed for 134 yards and three scores for the Saints. Seahawks get a late field goal to beat the Cardinals on the road 20-17. Arizona now 0-4 on the year. Chargers edge the 49ers 29-27. Early action overtime for the Titans to beat the Eagles 26-23. Tennessee's 3-1. and Marcus Mariota with a touchdown pass to end the game in overtime. Bengals get a last second touchdown pass from Andy Dalton to edge the Falcons on the road 37-36. Cowboys get a field goal as time expires to beat the Lions, 26-24. Texans over the Colts in overtime on the road, 37-34 with a field goal. Andrew Luck, four touchdown passes in the loss. Mitchell Trubisky, six touchdown passes for Chicago. Bears are 3-1. They beat the Buccaneers, 48-10. Patriots had the Dolphins their first loss of the year, 38-7 the final. Jacksonville now, 3-1. Jaguars over the Jets, 31-12. And the Packers shut out the Bills. 22 to nothing. Baseball, we've got the Dodgers and Rockies both tied at the end of the regular season. They'll have a one-game tiebreaker in L.A. 4 p.m. Eastern later today. Winners, the NL West Champs. The Losers, a wild card team. And the Cubs and Brewers both have identical records. And they are tied. They'll have a one-game tiebreaker in Chicago. 1 p.m. Eastern today. Winners, the NL Central Champs. Loser is a wild card team. This report is brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping it can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more competent car buying experience. Back to Clay Travis in the GEICO Outkick the Coverage Studios.
3: Indeed, we are coming to you live, thank you Eddie, from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. We bring in now, as we do every single Monday, Alex Marvez. Go follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez. You can listen to him on SiriusXM Uh, and uh, I'm sure that he has got much to take away, but let's start with the overtimes. I think the number one story probably coming out of overtime is going to be looking at the decision Mike Vrabel made versus the decision Frank Reich made. Did you like them both? Did you like one? Did you like not the other? How would you assess the overtime decision making? Because let's be honest, there aren't a lot of precedents now for what to do in overtime, especially now that it's a 10-minute overtime, especially now that you get the ball. As long as you don't give up a touchdown, both teams get the ball. What say you about the performances of uh, those two teams in overtime?
1: You know what? Here's the thing. I'll start with the Colts, and, and I, I dislike the Frank Reich decision so much uh, because just field position and common sense. The Houston Texans are 0-3. If they don't win this game, Clay, coming back from 0-3-1, I mean, that's really tough to make the postseason, right? And instead, by, by going for it, not converting, and then allowing this team to still get some hope, not so good. You know what I mean? For the Tennessee Titans, I think it was a little bit different. I mean, this is, you know, I I just thought it was different. They decided, you know, they were going to kick this field goal. Vrabel apparently knew what he was doing all along, went for it on fourth and two. By the way, the Titans three and three, fourth down conversions against the Eagles uh, on Sunday, not too shabby. I, I don't have a problem with it from that standpoint, trying to win the game there. I just thought in the case of Frank Reich, look, you pushed it as far as you could, you couldn't convert, take the tie, go home, and it's going to help you later in the season instead now. And I know all the bravado and gusto, we're going to go for it every time. Well, you know what, that's not real smart. May as well just go for it on four downs as well instead of punting. Uh,
3: particularly for the Colts now because they have the Patriots next and they have to go on the road. And the Patriots obviously <laughs> performed really well against the Dolphins, but if you fall to one and four, the Colts season is effectively
1: over, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, well, I think it's going to be over pretty soon anyway. How about this, by the way, for defensive snaps played? And this is going into a Thursday night game, and I'm not trying to tell people if they gamble how to spend their money, Clay, but I will say this. The Indianapolis Colts played 77 snaps on the defensive side of the football. New England, 49 snaps. That was it. And they're hosting a Thursday night game. Being able to play, they weren't even on the road. It's the NFL and their quirky scheduling, right? I mean, allowing a team to play again, another, you know, not having to send them on the road and allowing them to play at home on a short week. I mean, I think we, you know, not that the Patriots are truly back. But they should be able to handle this game on Thursday, even without Rob Gronkowski going to be a question mark now because of his ankle, and we're still not sure if Julian Edelman will be on the field just because it's so early in the week. He is eligible to come back from that four-game suspension, but I mean for Indianapolis now, yeah, this is this was just this was silly. It was just it was a mistake made by a first-year head coach who got a little bit maybe you know too happy on the success that the Eagles had on fourth down. This was different. Know your know your game situation and understand it in the big picture. That's where I think Frank Reich made a big mistake.
3: We haven't talked to you since the Rams' big performance. How big of a favorite should the Rams be in the NFC right now? Did we lose Alex Marvez there? Am I still here? <laughs> Am I still here? Is this mic on? Are we hanging out? Yeah, I've never had Alex Marvez yeah, just Al- vanish Alex like that before. Wow. Right when I ask him about the Rams, too, is that a bad sign for the Rams? We'll get Alex Marvez back. I hadn't talked to him since the Thursday night performance by the uh, by the Rams in a dominant win in, their, uh, in on Thursday night. We talked to Alex every single Monday. Um, and, and I do think there's going to be a lot of discussion about the Frank Wright decision with the Colts versus the Mike Bravel decision with the Titans. Because some people are going to say, well, the Titans' decision worked, and so it was smart, and the Colts' decision didn't work, and it was not smart. And I always think that's not very fair. Because if you judge by, based on the result – It's not really analyzing whether the decision was right. Because sometimes you can make the wrong decision and end up with good results. And other times you can make the right decision and end up with bad results. It's the focus on the decision-making process, I think, that should be at play here. And to me, when you look with what happened with the Titans, a 49-yard field goal is not necessarily a high-level make. And so the decision to go there was different than the decision to go on the other side of the field. And when you got zapped, Alex, right when I was asking you about the, the decision <laughs> with, with Alex. Uh, yeah, uh, may,
1: Maybe it's uh, the ghost of Ray Malavasi all over me when we're talking yeah, about all, the Rams. I don't know. Are you the know, look, Rams the favorite in the play, NFC? I'm, play they're legit. I mean, look, the Rams are the best team in the NFL. I mean, it's not even close and, you know, because it's at all three levels, right? I mean, offensively, I, I mean, where do you stop them? Do you stop them in the passing game? I mean, that's so difficult right now with the way Jared Goff is playing and, the fact that they have such great, you know, a great trio at wide receiver, plus now starting to work Gerald Everett into the mix and with Todd Gurley until Le'Veon Bell comes back. If he ever does get off that water ski, well, you know, he is the yeah. best all-around running back in the NFL. Defensively, there are some flaws. You know, you, you worry a little bit about depth in the secondary just because of, you know, to Talib being out now until at least December. Plus, the, the linebacking crew leaves a little bit to be desired, and they may be able to be attacked by teams with running backs and with good tight ends, but... By and large, usually they're going to affect the quarterback and they have great safety play. And then special teams, even with the injuries that have hit it, they're generally regarded as the best special teams unit in football. And, you know, they, they, the nice thing, too, about this team is that there was so much hype surrounding it during the off season. It would have been very easy for this team to maybe buy into that and get fat and happy before they you know, ever did anything, and instead they haven't. I mean, they won their first three games by double digits. They took care of the Vikings at home, and I would imagine now the Rams probably going to be favored in just about every game. But when you look at the rest of the division play, see, this is where the Rams can really make some hay. Seattle's a train wreck. Arizona's playing a rookie quarterback in Josh Rosen, and San Francisco's got C.J. Beathard. I mean, this may be a Rams team. I don't think they're going undefeated. They have a string of three straight road games coming up and play. No team since the 2014 Bengals have won three straight on the road. I mean, it is just very rare, even for really good teams to do. It's just only happened once, I think, in the past decade or so. So I think the Rams ultimately will lose a game, but 14-2 and two for the regular season, very possible, very possible home-field advantage of being able to rest players in the month of December.
3: All right, what's up with the Steelers? They oh, uh, yeah. they now are one, it's a odd record, so I want to make sure I get it right, one, two, and one. They are actually <laughs> in last place in the AFC North Even beneath the Browns who got their uh, loss against the Raiders. The Raiders got off the 0-3 Schneid. But what's going on with the Steelers? Because last week the talk was what's going on with the Patriots? Patriots come back with a big win. The Steelers got a big win on Monday, but then they got walloped pretty good at home now. I hate to say it, it's a crazy question, but a quarter of the way
1: through the season, are they even a playoff team? Uh, it was the way Cincinnati and, and uh, Baltimore are playing. They may be on the outside looking in. First, let's talk about some of the things that Pittsburgh isn't doing well. They have 42 penalties for 401 yards, Clay. That leads the NFL. That doesn't reflect well upon the coaching of this team. Third down percentage, they're 28th in the NFL. They are only completing 30.6% of their third downs. That's terrible. The defensive side of the football, listen, we hear a lot about Keith Butler and, and you know how what a great linebacker's coach he was and the defensive coordinator and, wait, coordinator and waiting behind Dick LeBeau. You know what? It's not working out. The, the secondary just doesn't play well time and time again, and I don't think it's necessarily a talent issue. I just think it, it's more of a scheme issue for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you, you just have so much doom and gloom around the team. There's no Le'Veon Bell. You know Antonio Brown advancing his own personal agenda. You know Ben Roethlisberger, who's who's you know now you know starting to show some cracks in his game a little bit. But let's not take away from the Ravens either. I mean, this is a special Baltimore Ravens team. They held Pittsburgh 47 second half yards last night. They're the first team since 2006 that hasn't allowed a touchdown in the second half in their first four games. Now, whether they can keep all this up, I don't know. It's an older team. I mean, guys like Eric Weddle, Terrell Suggs, Brandon Carr, I mean, these are all long-in-the-tooth type players, so expect them to perform at a high level over a long season. We'll have to see if they still have that juice uh, as the year unfolds. But, Clay, the Steelers right now not playing good football, not a lot of confidence, and as all this goes on, the rumors are going to continue to swirl. Would the Steelers make a coaching change in 2019, and Mike Tomlin would be on the outs?
3: Here's what I got for you when I look at the Steelers. Falcons uh which is not going to be an easy game I we'll talk about the Falcons here in a sec then you go to the Bengals you got the Browns coming in you'd like to think you can win that one then you go to Ravens then you got the Panthers coming in then you go to Jags two Broncos back oh. to back and then the Chargers are coming to town that's all but like leading through uh October and November I don't think they're going to make the playoffs
1: I think, you know, Clay, listen, we, but remember here, the Bengals are still the Bengals, right? they still <laughs> yeah. proven otherwise. Right. And, and I mean, and really, that's what a lot of this division I think is going to come down to is Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, those two games. Can the Bengals get over that hump? I mean, look, no one's going to believe in the Bengals until they win a playoff game, right? I mean, they can go 13 and 3, 12 and 4. They can have as much fun on offense as you want. It is a really good offensive team, by the way. Uh, but it doesn't matter until they do something in the postseason. You know, as for Baltimore, again, it's a longevity issue. And Cleveland, look, As goofy as it is and how they find new ways to lose each and every week, I mean, they're still a much more competitive team. I'm with you on the Steelers. Right now you're looking at about a 500-team at best unless unless some things change. And by the way, what would be a nice change for them is if Le'Veon Bell showed up and wanted to play some football for them. Doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. I know he's lost $3.5 million already uh, based upon this holdout. But, man, he does change the complexion of that offense. And, look, as good a player as James Conner is, It's not the same Pittsburgh offense without Le'Veon Bell on the field.
3: Are the Falcons done?
1: Yeah, because they can't stop anyone on defense. I mean, they remind me, I grew up a Chargers fan, so it reminds me a lot of, you know, the Halcyon days of Dan Fouts, and they're putting up 35 points, but then when you look up at the scoreboard, they've given up 38 type of deal, and they just have no safety play. And DeMonte Cazine, I mean, Clay, this is a suspension waiting to happen. This guy does not know how to tackle in today's NFL. Got called on another unnecessary roughness hit. On Sunday, could have been called for another type of spear, and then he missed the tackle going in leading with his head. I mean, he just doesn't get it. And, you know, he's one of your starting safeties. And now, listen, no no more Earl Thomas trade talk, right? That's all effectively ended right now with him being carted off the field with that leg injury. There's really not much out there that can help him. The middle of that defense, is a train wreck i mean that is what it is the safety spots are terrible and Deion jones is just not you know he's not there he's an injured reserve and he is such a difference maker because he's so fast to my linebacker spot play that can score a bunch of points you don't want to ever discount a team like that but losing these home games the way that they have the past couple of weeks and these fourth quarter collapses that they've had now just doesn't bode well for this team and i think yeah they're on the outside looking in although look tampa bay i mean how bad are they right and carolina new orleans not sure if they're world beaters yet either. So they'll hang around, but I just, at the end, Falcons won't be
3: there. You just mentioned them. What in the world happened with the Bucks on the road against the Bears? I mean, this is a Tampa Bay team that with three minutes left in Monday Night Football, Fitz Magic was still potentially fully in effect. They were ready to drive down, try to get the win against the Steelers. They aren't able to do it. They go three and out. They don't get the ball back. And then just an absolute I don't even, like, I don't even know what the phrase is, like a, a total debacle on the road against the Bears. What
1: happened? Well, look at, let's look at the defense and this is a sh- and listen, I love me to Mike Smith as a person. He's a personal friend, known him for a long time, but professionally his defense has now given up 400 or more yards for the 19th time in 36 games. Think about that. More than half of the games that he has been the defensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, his unit has given up this yardage. Look, it's a flawed offense, and teams caught up with it. They can't run the football. They have nothing at running back, right? That really scares you. So teams figured out some things to do in the passing game. I, I also, I don't, I don't want to diminish, though, how good the Chicago Bears are becoming. Okay? I mean, listen, they're second in the NFL at turnover differential at plus six. They have eight interceptions this season, and that goes along with them leading the NFL. In sacks, the whole thing has been how quickly can you get Mitchell Trubisky up to speed. Yesterday, four for four in the red zone, 154.6 quarterback rating. Plus, it was after the first series, the guy did some things. You know, when you have the scripted plays, he's been great. And then you have to play the final three quarters. Not so good with <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky. He really stepped up his game against a hapless Bucks team. And listen, Ed, Dirk Cutter has created his own controversy with the quarterbacks by the way he's handling it. He just seems so squeamish as to what he's wanted to do. I mean, you had that quick a hook on the first quarterback in NFL history to pass for 400 yards for three straight games. That's how you felt about Ryan Fitzpatrick. You just thought you could pop Jameis in there and there wouldn't be a drop off. Really? And and to tell your team that this—what a lack of faith that you had in Ryan Fitzpatrick, that you were willing to go to Jameis Winston or I'm sorry, to Ryan Griffin during the game on Monday night, Ryan griffin would have been your guy because he was unhappy with the way ryan fitzpatrick was playing this is not a healthy situation in tampa and i think the clock is ticking on the dirt cutter regime
3: what's going to happen with Jameis? he comes in he throws two interceptions it theoretically is his team now right i mean isn't that the decision that has to be made is Jameis winston the long-range future of the bucks if dirt cutter doesn't have a long-range future does a new coach want to come in and, and go to Jameis Winston at $20 million a year? What I mean, it's amazing how quickly things can change in the NFL. But what's the storyline here?
1: Well, the storyline is this. Can Dirk get the Buccaneers into the playoffs or a 9-7 and seven type of record with Jameis Winston leading the way to buy himself some more time? And then he can say, look, I went 2-1 and one without Jameis. Yeah, we had a bad game against Chicago. But a lot of teams have bad games, right? And ultimately, at the end of the season, if they're a playoff team, Dirk Cutter probably stays, and the reason he stays is because they'll say that he developed Jameis Winston effectively. Or it gets, And he realizes, too, that his wagon is hitched to Jameis Winston, because there's only so much upside with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you're going to have to play Jameis, hope that he continues to show the same improvement from last year, and get you to where you need to be to stick around. Otherwise, that's going to be a decision of a new head coach. And who's the GM? Is it going to be Jason Light? Does he distinguish himself enough to get another chance to hire yet another head coach? I mean, we had him working with Lovie Smith. We have him working... With Dirk Cutter, is he going to get to hire another guy? And then does that guy come in? And it's going to be an offensive-minded coach? I'm pretty darn sure. Do they, What is their plan for Jameis Winston? I think it also depends too. How much? How does Butts ownership feel about this? Do they say no? We've invested in Jameis Winston. We want to stick with him. And another coach will make him play better. And you continue to go down that road with Jameis because that's what some of this is going to be as well. You know, when you sometimes when these coaches get hired, they say a lot of things they may not necessarily mean, but they'll say it in the interview process just to get the job. So, I mean, that's what I think is going to happen, though, there. If the, if the Bucks want to hear that Jameis Winston is fixable and can be their franchise quarterback, then that's what they're going to look for in their next coach. If the new guy coming in says, no, I want the juice to be able to get rid of Jameis Winston, use that $20 million elsewhere, and we'll draft another quarterback and start over or do something in free agency, well, then Jameis is out.
3: Outstanding stuff, as always, by the way. How good was Mariota in the second half and overtime?
1: Uh, Marcus Mariota, he still can't even feel his fingers, okay? <laughs> He can't feel his fingers, and he's doing that. But let's give a tip of the cap as well to the NFL's number one red zone defense. They are only allowing a 20% success rate on touchdowns last year, 55% on, t- on t- in 2017 allowing touchdowns in the red zones. By the way, we're going to find out how real Tennessee is coming up, not after Buffalo next week, not after that game. they got four road games in a five-week span, the lone home game November 11th versus the Patriots. I know you and your family will be there for that one. Huge game will know a lot more about the Titans back.
3: Outstanding stuff as always. He's Alex Marvez. Go follow him on Twitter. Final segment of the Monday edition of the show. We've been loaded down with NFL and college football news. I'll tell you who would be in the playoffs right now. We're almost a quarter of the way through. I love looking at the playoff race even early in the NFL. Big time surprises 25% of the way through the NFL season. want to hear who would be in the playoffs. I'm Clay Travis. Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Rolling back in Monday edition. Roberto spinning the hits here. Doing an outstanding job. Uh, we are here in the Geico Outkick Studios, where you can borrow up to 40 grand to pay off your high-interest debt or credit cards with Lending Club. Go to lendingclub.com/iheart today and check your rate in minutes. That's lendingclub.com/iheart. All loans made by WebBank member FDIC equal housing lender. And we're brought to you by Discover Card. We treat you like you'd treat you. Almost a quarter of the NFL season officially in the books. We'll find out what happens tonight with the Kansas City Chiefs going on the road against the Denver Broncos, but I thought this was pretty wild. If you look at the AFC playoff picture, and I know requisite uh, word, verbiage about the fact that we're only a quarter of the way through the season. Your AFC East champs would be the Miami Dolphins. We'll see whether or not they can hold on. They started off 3-0. I know the, the Patriots whipped them pretty solidly, but the Dolphins would be your AFC champs. Your AFC North champs would be the Cincinnati Bengals. Your AFC South champs would be the Tennessee Titans. And we'll see what happens for the AFC West because whoever wins that game will be in the lead in the AFC West. But what's intriguing is right now your wild cards would be the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Baltimore Ravens. Notice something interesting? New England Patriots and Pittsburgh Steelers wouldn't be in the playoffs if the season were ending a quarter of the way through. Now, still 75% of the football season to be played, but that is a pretty wide and wild story. Your winner in the NFC East, well, they're on a bye week, so they haven't even played a quarter of their season, but the Washington Redskins. Chicago Bears would roll in and win the NFC North. New Orleans Saints would win the NFC South. And in the NFC West, I think this one's actually already decided the Rams would. Point on this in general. NFL is the only sport in America where a team can go from being awful one year to winning the Super Bowl the next year. Hope springs eternal in the NFL. Doesn't happen anywhere else that a team can go from four and 12 to winning the Super Bowl the next year. Certainly doesn't happen in the NBA. Doesn't very often happen in Major League Baseball. Maybe that'll change. Maybe the Atlanta Braves are going to get on a roll and they'll win the World Series. Braves fans are like, yeah, right. It ain't 1995. Braves always find a way to lose in the postseason. Got a couple of big games going on today uh, in Major League Baseball. Speaking of that, the Dodgers up against the Rockies. Who's going to win the NL West? And also the Cubs playing the Milwaukee Brewers. We'll see who's going to actually win the NL Central as well. Two big games going on during the afternoon today, so make sure you don't miss those. But that NFL situation in general is, uh, is pretty wild a quarter of the way through the season to see all the different teams that you didn't really anticipate up at the top of the uh, division standings. Also, want to say college football, great weekend, big win for Ohio State, phenomenal environment at Penn State. Unbelievable experience. Was great to be there for that game. I'm going to tell you this right now. There are four coaches in college football that have won national championships. Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Jimbo Fisher, and Dabo Sweeney. James Franklin is going to win a national championship at Penn State. I know they lost. I know they've lost two straight years by one point to Ohio State. That margin is is going to continue to uh, to d- diminish. And I think James Franklin, if I were betting right now on the head coach who is going to win a national championship in the next five years, I would take Penn State and James Franklin at the very top of that list. A guy who hasn't won one already. Nick Saban may win the next four for all we know. Nick Saban and Urban Meyer may go back and forth because they've won almost all the titles so far. But for a coach that has not won a title yet, to win a title next, I'm taking James Franklin at Penn State. Based on what I saw, he's got things rolling. They just haven't quite gotten over the Ohio State hump. I think it's going to happen. I think they will be the next program that has not won a national championship in recent history to win a national championship. That's my bet anyway. We'll see what happens uh, in general, but an incredible environment for that whiteout scene. Uh, Great game, college football. Most entertaining games to go to by far in the entire country. Tomorrow, we'll have a loaded show. We'll break down everything that happened. I want to thank you guys again for supporting my book. It's out in stores. Republicans buy sneakers, too. One of the top 10 best-selling nonfiction books in America because of you guys. Thank you so much. I'm Clay Travis. This has been OutKick.